Oh, thank you, choir. Jamie, thank you, Rachel, being in your place today. Amen. All the orchestra, grateful to God for every one of them. Take your Bible. Let's go to Acts 26. This is our 50th sermon through the book of Acts, and so we'll continue till we get to the end, and we come to chapter 26 and verse 19, if you will find that in your copy of Scripture. Down on the Warrington campus today, we're grateful for all of them. Uh, Jamie, of course, is normally down there, but he's here today since John's in Uganda, and thankful he's here, and the uh, Crossroads group is down at Warrington leading, but today is Mike and Maria Dimmick's 50th anniversary. We sent a little surprise video down to them, and they'll be looking at that uh, in this service today at 11 o'clock, and uh, so we're grateful to God for Mike and Maria and all that they do. Uh, evidently, she married at 12, so... Uh, my, they were both 18 when they got me. Just had their 18th birthday and 50 years ago today, their golden anniversary. Grateful to God for the Demics down at the Warrington campus. Well, we're in Acts 26, and we began reading in verse 19. And you know this story if you've been following along. Now, Paul's been in jail, and he's headed to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar. Uh, but he's been here in Caesarea now for two years in jail. And we find him in our text uh, today uh, where uh, he was first with Felix, then Felix is out, Festus steps in as the governor, and King Agrippa uh, comes by for a visit to see the new governor. Now understand Agrippa is just a puppet, he didn't amount to anything, he's a Jewish uh, fella that has been named the king, but Nero's the boss. And he's overseeing this uh, side of the Jewish uh, nation. And so King Agrippa and his uh, wives and his sister Bernice uh, come and they wanted to visit. And Festus said, I got this holdover uh, from the time uh, before. And Paul's here and said, you ought to hear this guy. And Agrippa said, I want to hear him. He said, you will tomorrow. And so last Sunday, we looked at the first part of what Paul said, and we come uh, to the conclusion of what he is speaking to Agrippa. Now, get the picture. Agrippa is here in all his pomp and circumstance. He and Bernice in their purple robes, and Festus is there with them, all the Roman guards, and Paul is brought out in chains, and, and Agrippa says, you can speak, and he begins to speak. And about uh, halfway through, then, uh, he has said... Uh, his testimony, given his testimony, and then he picks up in verse 19, and he's standing in front of the king and the governor, and the word of God is found here, and you hear now because this is the word of our great God. Verse 19, so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both the small and great, stating that nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer. And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus, this is the governor, said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. 
Your great learning is driving you mad. And Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. That's our message today, words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all that hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. There are skeptics all around us today that do not believe there is a God. They do not believe the Word of God. And they think you're a fool if you believe in God. We are living in what John Dickerson calls this post-truth culture And the world looks at us as we gather in our churches today all across the world on this Sunday because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week and we come together because of that on this day and the culture looks at us and they say about us what Festus said about Paul, you have lost your mind. You're nuts. You're crazy. This is not true. Why would you waste your time? He lived, he died, they buried him, he's in the ground. And yet we take our stand that Jesus arose. Now the culture, Dickerson says in his book, Hope of Nations, he says there are five things going on. And in this book, he gives a chapter to each of these. He said, in America right now, humans are sinning, Satan is scheming, ideologies are warring, Western civilization is unraveling, and Christ and his people, yes, are prevailing. We're standing, and we prevail. The reason is, Over here at the back of the book, we read this part, we win. And we believe this book and that there is truth there. But if you stand for Christ in this culture, people will tell you you are out of your mind. As they said to Paul, you're nuts. But he said, no, no, I utter today words of sober truth. Logos, the words that are sober, that are serious. Aletheia, truth, not false. It is true. What are these words of sober truth that we find from the lips of the great apostle in our text today? There could be many of them, but I just want to give three words 
Three words of sober truth and look at them for a moment. Then I'm going to give an invitation and Jamie will sit and sing and we'll invite you to get out of your seat and walk right here and take me by the hand or kneel in this altar and say, Lord, I'm coming home unto you. First word of sober truth that we find in this text is resurrection. Look in verse 23. That the Christ was to suffer and by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first, the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Dry bones rattling, rolled the stone away and walked out. The Bible has much to say about that because it is the cornerstone truth. It is the most sober word of all truth. Revelation chapter 1. Verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And we're going to read that, but what I want you to see is the firstborn from the dead. Colossians chapter one and verse number 18. He also, head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the first to get up. And then in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first, not firstborn, but here he, Paul says, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Jesus got up first. He got up first. He got up, and because he got up, you can get up. He's the first fruit. He arose first, the firstborn. And then in the Revelation. Chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. You see it on the screen. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Hear me. Jesus rose first. And because he got up, you will get up if you're saved, if you've been born again, if the Spirit of God has raised you from the dead in your heart and soul. Because Jesus got up, you will get up. There is a resurrection that we find in Scripture. The sober truth is this. All will rise. All will go to judgment. The redeemed will go to heaven. And the lost, unregenerate man or woman will go to hell. In the Revelation, he speaks of the millennial reign. Now, one day, you're going to die if you live long enough. And they're going to take you somewhere and put you someplace. I talked to two people this week about being buried. One man called me asking if I would do his funeral. He said he's going to be cremated. Won't know if I would uh, come and be there. and Won't know what it cost. I said, sir, I don't even know if I'll be alive when you die. You're not dead yet. But if I can, I'll come, charge anything. You won't give a love offering. That's good. That's fine. However you want to do that. But he said, I'm going to be cremated, and they're going to take me to Barancas. And if you go to Barancas, they'll put you in a little niche. 
in a concrete place. I was in a place of business this week. The guy said, Pastor, my mother is in an urn in my house. I've never had her placed in her final rent. Would you help me? He's not a member of this church. He's a friend of mine. He said, I don't have a church. He said, would you go with me? And I said, certainly I'll. When you're ready, you call me. We'll go. Someday you're going to die. I don't know what they're going to do with you. They may put your ashes in a little urn. They will not do that to me. They're going to put me in a box. And you're going to come by and cry. And then they're going to take me out here. Three years ago, my wife, I asked her, what do you want for Christmas? She said, I want grave plots. I said, you want what? <laughs> so I went out here and found a bargain basement deal, and I bought three. And I got a place marked out there. And one day I die, they're going to bury me there. I'll be there till the Lord comes unless, bless you, <laughs> unless, I'm raptured first. Amen. Amen. But if I die, they're going to bury me, and then there's going to be a shout and a trumpet, and I'm going up. Going to get up. Hallelujah. What are we going to look like? I don't know. We've been known as we were known. How old are you going to be? I think everybody's going to be 33, just like Jesus. But I don't know. I can't prove that. that that's just my thought. I mean, a baby. Or my daddy. Nineties surely we're not going to get to glory and be in our 90s. Well, it'll be a new body. I don't know. There's so many unknowns. You, you don't know that, but you have a body like Jesus had. He just walked through walls. Hallelujah. What a place. It's a resurrected body. But you're going to get up and, and you're going to stand to judgment. And this book says, then a thousand years later, the unregenerate's going to rise. Now, my question to you this morning is which side of the millennium are you raised on? Are you raised on the front end and go to judgment and go to heaven? Or will you be raised on the back side of the millennium, stand in judgment and go to hell? One of those two things. You say, Pastor, that, that's, that's sober truth is what that is. These are words of sober truth. They should shake you. Which one is yours? Resurrection. He will come get us. He's the first fruit, and we will be taken up behind him. Second word of sober truth. Not only resurrection, but revelation. Revelation. Notice Paul. He said in verse 22, Having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying both of the great and the small, that nothing, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said. He believed all of the prophets, all of what Moses said. In verse 27, he looked king. Can you imagine the brazen, the brazen spirit of this preacher? He looked King Agrippa in the face in verse 27, and he said, Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe? I know you do. He did. He's a Jewish man. Paul didn't just believe the Old Testament. He would then be a writer of the new. And God would canonize 66 books. And we would have the Bible. The Bible is of divine, not human origin. Holy men of God were moved by the Spirit. 
they wrote. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all graphe, all scripture, the word graphic, writing, all the scriptures are theonustos. It's a great, great old word. Theo on the front end, of course, means God, like theology, theos. And on the back end is pneuma. It's the word breath. All scripture is God breathed. God breathed it out. Gave us the Word of God. Hank had a graph years ago. I grabbed hold. What's, what's in the back of your Bible? After you get past the concordance, there are some maps. I've used that acrostic about the Word of God to believe it. M-A-P-S. M-A-P-S. Why do we believe the Bible? Well, I, I believe it by faith. But when you're looking for rational truth and apologetics, number one M is manuscript. Manuscript evidence. No other book in the world has such remarkable historical documentation as the Bible. There are more manuscripts for the Bible than anything else you can see in antiquity. Manuscripts help prove the Bible. Archaeology, number two, is the A. Every shovel of dirt confirms the Bible in the Holy Land. Oh, for many, 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 many years, they, uh, they made fun of the book of Daniel saying, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, there's no Belshazzar, never heard of Belshazzar. And then one day an archaeologist digging found an inscription, Belshazzar, that evidently there was one. That's why archaeologists dig. Every spade of dirt will confirm this is the word of God. P is prophecy. You just look at the Old Testament prophecies of Christ telling where he was going to be born, how he would live, how he would die. Just the prophecies about Jesus alone is enough, but oh, there are hundreds of others, hundreds and hundreds of other prophecies from the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament, and then some in the New Testament that we take by faith are coming in the future. Manuscripts, archaeology, prophecy, and then statistics. The statistics of the Bible. The Bible was written over a span of 1,600 years by 40-plus authors in three different languages with one message. God so loved the world, he gave his son to redeem. Amen. From Genesis to the Revelation, it's all about lost man, righteous God, calling us to repentance. That was over 1,600 years. Those 40 people, you can't get 40 Baptists to agree on anything. These people, the Theonustos of God brought them all together. And what Moses said, Daniel said, what Daniel said, Mark said, what Jesus said. And we find the Word of God unified together. Revelation. How many of you brought your Bible today? How many of you got a Bible? A book. How many got a book with you? Just raise it up and wave it at you. Books all over there. Amen, amen. That's good. How many of you are looking on your phone? Now, you got your Bible on your phone, all right? Got your phone? Yeah, a lot of phones up there. How, how many of you bought an iPad? Got an iPad with a few iPads out here? See something down here in front of you? How many of you didn't bring one? You got it memorized. You don't have to have a book. <laughs> all right? Hey, listen, when you come to the house of God, bring the book of God. Amen. You, you need it. Some form, your phone, iPads. You got it memorized. God love you. But bring a book. We're going to open this book every time we come together. So bring your Bible. And we believe the Word of God. If my mother were in heaven and not out watching me on television today at the place where she is, I would do what Dr. Criswell did years ago. I'll never forget Dr. W.A. Criswell first day. I watched him do it. He was thundering about the Word. He took his Bible and he threw it. 
And it hit with a thud. And he ran down to it and he stood on it with both feet. And he said, I am here today to stand on the word of God. I thought, if my mama's here, she'd paddle you. <laughs> Throw that book in the dirt and then stand on top of it. So I'm not going to do that. But when she dies, I'm going to chunk it one day, all right? I'm just here to tell you, I believe this book. I stand on this book. You say, I don't believe it. Okay, you can be wrong if you want to. But I'm here to tell you, this is the word of the living God. There are all kind of different thoughts about it and translations. But when you go back to those three original languages of Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, you find the word of God. And I'm here to tell you, it rings true in every generation. And it will not come back void. And when you're dead and gone, this book will be alive. Sober truth, revelation. But there's a third word in this text, and it is the word repentance. Notice in verse number 20, he kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Look in verse 28. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe? And then King Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian? And he's making fun. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day, the governor, your wife, the soldiers, the servants, everyone would be like I am except for these chains, you see the apostle standing there with these shackles on his feet and on his arms, preaching the word of God, saying that he is a redeemed man because he has repented. I wish to God you would be like me. But several years ago, I was asked to be the president of the pastor's conference of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a great honor, and we took it seriously. And the choir got together and we took the choir and the orchestra and many servants to go to Indianapolis where on a Sunday night and all day Monday we put on the conference before Southern Baptist Convention. In those days you took a theme and I took my theme from Mark's Gospel chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. We had preachers and they came and thundered and great music with the choir uh, it was a good day. and We were encouraged. And my theme was Mark 1. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. If you go back to that first verse in verse 14 that you see on the screen, it says that Jesus came preaching. He came preaching the gospel. That was my theme. Jesus came preaching. What did Jesus preach? You look at verse 15, you find out the very first sermon Jesus ever preached was repent and believe the gospel. The first sermon, repent, believe the gospel. You're going one way, turn from your sin and turn toward God. John the Baptist, the first sermon John the Baptist preached was the same. Repent 
and believe the gospel. You're going away from God. You're saying, I don't believe. I'm going on my road to hell or I do my old thing. And the Spirit of God arrests you and you stop. And you repent and run toward God. It's a sober truth, but it is required of all men. When I was a young preacher, Jesus movement days, we had a phrase and we used it in almost every sermon when we'd give the invitation. We'd say, repent. And in an hour, crazy vocabulary, we would say, Turn or burn. Turn from your sin and come to God. If you don't turn, you're going to hell. Turn or burn. Well, it may not be as palatable today, but it's just as true. We are called to repent. I'm calling you to repent today. It's a word of sober truth. Now, in this text, when Paul speaks to the king, the King James says in verse 28 that Agrippa replied to him, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. That's a very poor translation. People argue about that almost. Was he close or can you get close or how how does all that work? Well, I have in my hand an old hymn book. It's called the Broadman Hymnal. This was before the Baptist hymnal that's in your pew. The Broadman, the word Broadman comes from two people. Dr. Broadus, Broad, and Dr. Manley, Man, Broadman. And they put those two together and that was our, before the Sunday School Board, we were the Broadman Press. Well, the Broadman hymnal was there, and in that Broadman hymnal on hymn number 169, it's not in that hymnal you got there, there's an old hymn. Now, this hymnal came, I'm reading in the front of it, it says, Pisgah Baptist Church. Do not take away from Pisgah Baptist Church. <laughs> this book is the property of Pisgah Baptist Church. What it says right here in the front. I don't know how this got in my library. I didn't steal it. Somebody stole it, and it wound up in my library. I don't know how it got there. But I'm not a thief. I'll stand in judgment for a lot of things, but not for stealing songbooks, all right? But that's from the Pisgah Church, and we used to sing this old song. Almost persuaded by P.P. Bliss, taken from Acts 26. Almost persuaded now to believe Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day, I thee, on thee I'll call. Have you ever been in a service and said, You know, I'll come another time. When it's more convenient. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are listening near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Oh, wanderer, come. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. 
Almost cannot avail, almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, what bitter wail. Almost, but lost. There's all kind of tension in the Word of God. God knows everybody that's going to be saved down through eternity. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God knows. And yet, he said, whosoever will, let him come. Jesus knows. There's a predestinarian doctrine in Romans. You can't get away from it. Elect before the foundation of the world. And yet, come. Always inviting. Jesus inviting. Agrippa being invited. And yet he said no. Pastor, you understand that? I do not. And you meet anybody that says they do, they've lied to you. Because there is a Holy Ghost tension between those two things. I'll understand it perfectly one day when I get to glory. But right now, I am not in management. I'm in sales. My job is to proclaim the gospel. It's what Jesus did. He came Preaching the gospel, repent, repent, and believe the good news. Well, I'm here to tell you today, the good news is for you. Jesus died for you. Don't get close. Come and know him. Say, Pastor, could a man really come to church and sit all day? Let me tell you, I've buried people out of this church who sat here all their life and listened and never got saved. He said, well, was that God... Let me tell you, friend, the tension that is there, the mysterion of the gospel is deep. But you just need to believe what the Word of God simply says. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's the first verse we teach our children. And Jesus came preaching, repent. And believe the gospel. Amen. And that's the message of the church today to the world. Some of you say you're Christians, but you've wandered off. Living a lifestyle that is not Christ-like. Repent and come home. Some of you have gotten angry and mad. at Repent and forgive. Some of you have never been to Jesus. Lost. Repent. And come home. You can't believe. God gives you faith. I understand that. God works in your soul. There's that old Holy Spirit tension. But when you know, you know, you know. And the Spirit of God woos and you come in submission. And say yes. Unto the Lord. You get gloriously saved. I was just thinking on this as I was praying through this sermon yesterday, just looking back at people getting saved. Last Sunday, a little eight-year-old girl came, said, I'm ready, and she got saved. Amen. A few weeks ago, a 65-year-old man came and said, I'm ready, and got saved. 
said, Preacher, I don't understand all that. Welcome to my team. <laughs> Friend, if you understood everything about people, you'd be God. And let me let you on a little secret. You're not. He's given us marching orders. Whether it's kings or queens, soldiers or governors, our message is to be, we love you. Repent and believe the gospel. That's our message. It's not confusing. And today we throw open the doors and say, come, come. We invite you to come. You want to join this church? Come. Want to link your life here? Come.